Well, good morning, OB Joyful family. It's great to be with you this morning, even though we are a part that we can still come together and worship uh, and hear God's word. So as a reminder, if you're just joining us, if you go out to objoyfulchurch.org, scroll about halfway down on the right, and there is uh, some sermon notes that you can follow along in what we're talking about this morning, and also a five-day meditation for you as a way, even though we're a part, that we can connect together during this time of somewhat isolation. And I know I've told this story before, but this isn't the first time I've actually been quarantined to my house. Um, When I was 27 years old, I had a hip surgery, and through this reconstruction surgery, they put me in a a full body cast. So it went from my chest all the way down to my ankles, and it's called a spica cast. Now, it made me so bulky and heavy, the only way I could get home was five EMTs lifting me up, putting me in the ambulance, and taking me to my house. Now, at my house, we had got a hospital bed. We put it in the master bedroom next to our other bed, and that's where they plopped me. And that's where I stayed for five weeks. For five weeks, I couldn't go to another part of the house, couldn't go to another room, couldn't go outside. I couldn't even go to the other side of the room. My whole movement was pretty much anything I could do with my arms, and that was it. Now, to even pass the time... I'd set up a TV in my room. I'd gotten some books together to read, but I was on so much pain medication, it was hard to concentrate. And then I had a place where I could put food and where I could eat. I was essentially completely helpless. Uh, I couldn't do anything unless someone helped me. I, couldn't, I could only feed myself, but that's only if someone brought food to me. So I sat in this bed uh, trying to pass the time. And for the most part, the only thing I did was, was try to find out what was on television. And let me be clear, back in early 1998, there wasn't a lot on television, especially during the day. I think we had uh, soap operas, there were talk shows, and then uh, there was ESPN. You know, we didn't have Netflix and all these streaming videos, and we didn't have the Tiger King, which I know you are watching, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, We, You know, YouTube, video on demand, uh, or... TikTok, I'm just learning what this is. This is evidently an app where people who can't dance show that they can't dance, but I'm still trying to figure that one out. But we didn't have any of this, none of this. So I would spend a lot of my afternoons, because the only thing on television was uh, ESPN strongman competitions. So I watched way too many men named Magnus lifting buses is how I passed my time. Now, one day I accidentally dropped the TV remote because I was reaching for... Uh, to get a drink with my remote, and it fell on the floor. I couldn't reach it. I had to spend three hours watching Oprah. And let me tell you, that was an experience in and of itself. And when you're confined in bed, you know, people come over, they want to visit you. But let me put this in perspective. When you can't move, you're at their mercy. And no kidding you, I had people come over to tell me about their problems as I was laying in bed. So as difficult this may seem, you know, it could be worse. And, but through this time, uh, there's a pretty heavy burden put on my wife, Erica. Obviously, she was still working a full-time job, um, but she still had to care for me. So she'd wake up in the morning, kind of help me get ready, get me breakfast. Um, then my parents would come over, and she'd go to work. When she came home, she would take care of me, uh, bathe me, feed me, do all those things that someone has to do when, when you can't take care of yourself. Um, Even I had to wake her up in the middle of the night uh, because she was in another bed if I needed something or needed my medication. And and sometimes this entailed me throwing a pillow at her because she was sound asleep. 
So why would she put herself through all that? You know, why would she go through those, uh, that care without complaint? I don't think she sat there and thought, man, I wish that for better or for worse wasn't in our wedding vows. Because when we're young and we get married, we don't think a lot about the worst. Yet sooner or later, we're going to get hit with rough times. And this is what love is. It endures through those difficult times that we don't necessarily want or don't necessarily understand. But we do it, we endure these times because of love. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we continue on in this series in 1 Corinthians, looking at this message from Paul to this church like 2,000 years ago and what we can learn today. And today we're in that famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that you've probably all heard at least one wedding, if not every wedding you've been to, in talking about love. Now, for those of you at home listening, which would obviously be everyone except for Lorraine and Tyler, but... When you think about love, I want you to go into the comments there on Facebook and tell me what is your definition of love. So just in one sentence, one quick sentence, just to kind of level set here, tell me what is your definition of love? How would you describe love to someone else at this point in time? Now, if we want to get really sterile and generic, we can look in the dictionary, which some of you may be doing anyway since you're on your computer, but the the Dictionary definition of love is a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. So a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. Which, it's a great definition. I think we can all wrap our hearts and minds around that in good times. But when we get to times where our relationships are unstable, we've lost a job, we're not good financially, and the world around us is unstable, loving can be difficult. How do we love and provide profoundly tender and passionate affection during difficult times? You know, we're about three weeks into this social distancing, quarantine, stay at home, what's the, the reside in place, I think is what they called it too. And it's been difficult for a lot of people. And I'm an extreme introvert. I am perfectly happy, at, you know, at my house, but man, I'm done. So I know a lot of you are struggling. And we've seen this, you know, people in our church that have gotten the COVID-19 virus, and it's knocked them flat on their backs. It's been very, very difficult to get through. You know, others have suffered loss of job or income, unsure what the future may provide. Others are, are suffering isolation, uh, in a, uh, inability to connect with other people um, on a very, you know, true or intimate level. And then there's a lot of us that are discovering all the quirks and idiosyncrasies of our family members because we're spending a lot of like, concentrated time with them that we never had before. And if that's not you, if you've not experienced that in your family, then you're probably the one with the quirks. Let's be honest. There's someone in your family that's doing that. But it's challenging. These are interesting and unique times. And I think that's why this passage is pretty timely. You know, our tensions might be running high. We're a little stressed. We're on our last nerve. We just kind of want to get out and do something. So what do Paul's words on love mean during these very unique times that we're experiencing right now? When Paul wrote this letter, remember, he was writing a very specific answer to a group of people who were asking very specific questions about how to live. And Corinth as a town was very pagan. They were very um, promiscuous. They kind of lived for self. 
And, which was, and so this living was very different than the message that Christ taught when he roamed the earth. And this is what Paul's trying to get at. So throughout Corinthians, throughout this first letter, we see Paul talking about divisions in the church, the importance of seeking wisdom, pride, sexuality, marriage, food sacrifice to idols, idolatry, public worship, and living out our spiritual gifts. So it's kind of fitting that he begins to wrap this letter up with kind of the glue that keeps all this together and keeps us together, and that is love. Now, one of the greatest things we need to know about this passage is the understanding of this word love that Paul uses. And unfortunately, in the English language, like we've just seen in that definition, uh, we're kind of limited with our English uh, definition of the word love. But when we look into the Greek wording that Paul uses in this particular context, Paul's not telling us that love is a suggestion, it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling. What Paul specifically tells us in this passage is that love is an action. It's an unconditional commitment, a promise that is never broken. Again, it's an action, an unconditional commitment, a promise that is never broken. This is the command of love, not the suggestion, which means we don't love when we want to or when it's convenient. We love because we're commanded. It's an unconditional commitment. It's to love each other and to do it in Christ. We love even the unlovable and even when the circumstances make it difficult. Now, because we make love a feeling or even circumstantial, what's going to happen? Eventually, our emotions will change, our feelings will change, and our circumstances will change. And if that's the foundation of our love, then our understanding of love will change whichever direction the wind blows. There's no foundation to it. So this morning, I kind of want to look at this foundational aspect of love in three different specific parts when it comes to our past, our present, and our future to see what we can learn during this time, unique and specific time to help us endure with passion and a strong pursuit. So our first understanding about love is that love is a lens to the past. When we look at our passage in verses uh, 1 through 3, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not loved, I gain nothing. We've all probably looked at parts of our lives, looked back on them, and thought, man, if only... If only I made a better decision, if only I was smarter, if only things would have worked out better, if I'd been kinder or showed more patience. It's only natural, and of course, you do have those people out there that are eternally optimistic, like, I have no regrets. Well, you know, I kind of regret nearly cutting my thumb off with my knife one time trying to open a package. I mean, that didn't work out too well for me. But the reality is we've probably gained some type of knowledge or understanding during those times even though they were difficult, even though they were challenging. You know, I I learned to cut away from me with a knife, and that was a very important lesson that I learned at that point. But what Paul's trying to tell us in this past tense talking about speaking in all languages, having the gift of prophecy, understanding God's secret plans, 
had knowledge, faith, and gave everything to the poor, which would be pretty awesome. If you knew someone who had those traits, you'd probably think very highly of them and respect them. But Paul tells us that if you have all that and even more, but don't possess or show love, you have nothing. It is worthless. Because when we pour ourselves out in love, then we see what is important. Much like what Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, 26, that what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If he gets everything he wants and gives up his soul, doesn't love, it's meaningless. Now, you've probably had those moments in your life where you were kind of um, all in on a project. You were, you were given everything you had. It was long hours, and it might even have been good work. You were doing something that you enjoyed, but it was very time-consuming. And there might have been a moment in the midst of all this that you looked at the sadness in your spouse's eyes, the disappointment, or the crying of your child because you haven't been around. I've been there. I've seen that, and it's difficult. But if we can look back through the lens of love at these moments, then it can provide clarity that no conversation, letter, or looking in the mirror can provide. Because you love them, you want to do something better for them and realize that your pursuits may have been meaningless without love. John gets into some more detail about where we should uh, focus our love by telling us in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I believe that this is what Paul is telling us. When we look back at our pastors through the lens of love, we're going to notice two things in looking at our past and understanding it. First is we begin to see what's important. When we love from the command point, which Paul talks about, and not the emotion or feeling, we can look back on those moments and realize all the things we were pursuing were worthless in the wake of leaving those that we love behind. Our priorities were all off, and we were focusing on the wrong thing. The second thing, the second thing we can learn is we can learn how to love better through our experiences of the past. When we look at our past and realize all we missed in pursuing worldly items or worldly pursuits, hopefully it gives us the vision of knowing how to avoid those pursuits in the future, not put ourselves or our family or our loved ones in those situations. And I think we'd all admit that all the things Paul talks about and he discusses in this passage are good things. They're good pursuits, but done without love, they're worthless. So by looking at our past, we're hopefully learning every day how to live a purposeful life with holy pursuits in the context of love. Now, our second understanding about love is that it provides endurance through our present times, which I think is a really important trait for us to focus on during this time. So Paul tells us when we look at verses 4 through 7, he gives us some traits of, or some understandings about love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. 
It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What Paul is painting in this passage is a picture of what love looks like in our present moment. And, and it's not easy. I know like patience and kindness and not being jealous or proud or rude, not demanding, irritable, or keeping records of wrong. I mean, these aren't a lot of boxes I check on a daily basis, and I'll admit that. But these are certainly lofty goals to aspire to and remind myself of how I should be loving, how I should be living, even when the circumstances or situations are difficult. Because what we see in times of crisis, and they say crisis doesn't change a person, it reveals a person. And what we're seeing in this crisis and in our current crisis is that People are selfish. Now, we are seeing a lot of amazing things, so this isn't a a bucket category, but we are seeing people being selfish. From hoarding toilet paper and other products because I need to take care of myself even to the detriment of other people. We see it in how uh, some people are treating medical staff because they're above the regulations or the, the procedures put in place which are meant to protect everyone. Or people yelling at at grocery clerks because they don't have products in the store, which the clerk has no control over whatsoever. This is a life lived for self. It's void of love because we put our own wants, our own needs, and our own desires above anything or anyone else. The reality of how we should live um, and love in our present moment is being shaped by this passage that Paul talks about. Because he says, love rejoices in truth. It never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures in every circumstance, even those difficult and challenging circumstances in life. You know, when I hear uh, a couple that's getting divorced and they're asked, you know, well, what happened? And they say, well, we just fell out of love. You know, let me be clear. The only reason that happens is they fell out of love is because they gave up. They didn't want to commit and didn't want to dig in. The marriage in their eyes was no longer worth fighting for. And many people do believe this because they put their love in that emotional feeling standpoint instead of the command of love. And having done uh, marital counseling, um, you basically go through like six different meetings where you're trying to talk about compatibility. So you get the couple together, you give them personality tests, you give them compatibility tests, you see how they deal with issues, challenges, and you, you try to get them to understand to how to differentiate between the lover issues and the roommate issues, which is really important. And a couple times in doing this, you know, you, you run across a couple that you're like, wow, you are not compatible at all. This could be the worst mistake of your life, not that I tell them that. But if you did it and you say this to them, they would just look at you and go, but we're in love. You know, that love's going to take care of all the issues. And I do believe that it can, as First Peter tells us, that love covers a multitude of sins. Obviously, love can overcome even the hardest circumstances in life. But if we don't commit to the command of love, then this emotion and feeling will only last so long. And this is where these young people get stuck. Because they think this feeling of love is what's going to carry them through the difficult, hard times of life. And that's simply not true. And that's what will eventually make them fall out of love is because they based it on this feeling and not the command. 
We need to be able to commit to the command of love so that when we face the difficult and challenging parts of life, and we will at some point, we can continue to endure with grace on the path God has for us and not what the world is telling us we should be doing. Now, the final understanding Paul brings us about love is that love brings clarity for the future. And we read this in verses 8 through 12. He says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I think what Paul's talking about this in, in this passage is very timely for kind of where we are right now in our current circumstances. When talking about things being imperfect, partial, incomplete, we're living in a time of uncertainty and, and possible fear about the future, what, what's going to happen over the next month or weeks, weeks or month. Like for Paul, this is a, a maturation process of growing throughout time. It's not something that happens overnight. This is a lifelong pursuit of working out your faith, of living in Christ and perfecting love with that foundation. You see, this is uh, something that we uh, see and you kind of can experience what this maturation process looks like from the child to adult is, you know, when you talk to a two-year-old about love, their entire existence of love may consist of wet, sloppy kisses on the cheek because that's all they know. But you contrast that with a a couple that's been married for 60-plus years, and they have this deep, abiding love that transcends all the challenges or difficulties they've faced over this time period. During difficult times, we can act immaturely, like we talked about earlier. We can act for self, and that is childish. It is that immature love. Or we can act in this mature love, knowing that our faith and love are built on a solid foundation that is Christ and not the world. And that this love will truly carry us through regardless of our circumstances or our fear. This is the forward-thinking, mature love that Paul's talking about in this passage. And it's what he's trying to get across not only to the church in Corinth, but to us today. Because when we look at the future, and especially right now, I know there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of uncertainty, and so that builds fear of what this future may look like. And uh, this week I sat in on a webinar with a counseling and therapy service, and um, the whole title of the webinar was Embracing the Unknown. So how do we manage this time period we're in right now when so much is unknown and at stake? And they're very specific to point out in this talk, and they even had a slide for it. And and the the wording on the slide said, love is the opposite of fear. Because love is how we endure. Love is how we connect, and love is how we heal, not through fear. Fear will crumble in the midst of love. And if you think about it, in a time when we have such a little control over anything else, we can control our love. And as they said, we can love anyway, 
despite our circumstances, despite our situation, despite what's going on around us, we can still love no matter what's going on around us. This is what John tells us in 1 John 4.18. He says there's no fear in love because perfect fear casts out love. And in some uh, versions, it may say cast out all love. When we come to this place of maturing uh, enough to, in our faith and our love, then there's no fear about what lies ahead. Our perfect love will cast out that fear. And this is echoed by Paul when he's talking to Timothy when he says, you know, God doesn't give us an attitude or a spirit of fear. He gives us power. He gives us love. He gives us self-discipline. And that's what, when we're feeling this fear in this moment, that's not from God. And if we can focus our attention more on love, that's what he tells us, that we have a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline during this time. You know, if we think about it, and we look at verse 13, you know, it says, there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And that I think it might be challenging for us to sometimes have faith and hope during difficult times, during hard circumstances, but I bet you can still love. And through love, you can find faith and hope, which will bring you through this time. Faith and hope are what we cling to in order to see a more perfect, a more brighter future for us, one that's not tainted by our modern life and living and what we're being told. But love The ability to pour yourself out to others is what is and is going to provide that clarity and having the faith to be hopeful in an unsure future. You know, as we start this new week, I usually say when you go out to to your home or your job or school, but it's pretty much as you stay at home this week and do what you've done the last few weeks, this is what I want you to think about. Think about how you love. This is probably something we, not, we don't dwell a lot on, but I want you to think about how you love. Look back over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, last couple of years maybe, but look at it through the lens of love to see where you could have loved better. Then focus on how you can use your love of God and others as a solid way to endure through this challenging time, to not just survive it, but thrive and, and come out ahead as someone who endured this Uh, circumstance and this challenging times well, then use that love to build a solid foundation of faith and hope, knowing that no matter what is happening on this earth, we truly do have a brighter future in heaven, and that is what matters. Let's pray. Lord God, we we just thank you for this uh, time together, even though we're not face-to-face, even though we're not side by side, Lord, that we can come together and still worship you uh, on this Palm Sunday um, and enter this holy week um, together yet apart. And Lord, I I just thank you for the gift of love, that um, even though times are unsure, that we may not understand what's going on around us, that we still can love. We can still show what others, um, what love truly looks like and what love truly means. And we can do that because you first loved us. I I thank you for this time together. I thank you for these people here. And and again, I just pray that we can go through this week with uh, strength, with power, with love, and self-discipline, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 
And just as a reminder, there is the five-week, uh, five-day meditation out there for you to download. So again, it's another way for us to come together, to to concentrate on the same content, to pray the same thing, and still stay connected as a community. God bless.